The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The world we live in has become a crazy place. Poverty is at an all-time high in the wealthiest nation on earth. We keep calling on government to save us with new programs, and we now have more people using food stamps than any time in our history. Keep seeking the answer to poverty through government, and the problem will continue to get worse. The answer to poverty is in our homes, churches, and communities, not in Washington or any state's capital. The long-term success of our country will come through our children if we teach them perseverance, humility, honor, character, hope, and love. And love will lead to action. This is the Mickey Allison Show. How we raise our children today will be our legacy for good or evil. Let's change the world. Now, here is Mickey Ellison. Ellison show and I am Mickey Ellison and uh, I, I come to you with the next to last show that we're going to be doing on on Voice America unless something crazy happens that I haven't planned on and um, last week we had the opportunity of, of hearing Bruce Brown from proactive coaching and um, the work that they're doing is phenomenal and it's just an honor to have someone like Bruce on on the show and our guest today, John O'Sullivan is the person responsible for introducing me to Bruce and and Rob Miller and, and those folks. Um, but uh, I, I've I've wanted to have uh, John back on, and he's got a busy schedule. When we first uh, introduced Changing the Game Project to the to this audience, um, I was joking with with John off the air a minute ago that uh, not joking, just talking about how the Facebook page itself. When we first started, I think it had about twenty five hundred followers and. Today are, are likes followers. That's Twitter Twitter term. Hey John, by the mm-hmm. way, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ben. But, and I'll do a better, a little bit better introduction uh, as we get as we get going. But and, and now it's well over fifteen thousand. And, and one of these days you'll be in proactive coaching stratosphere up there with one hundred ninety five thousand. Uh, yeah, they're they're doing some crazy likes. work there. Yeah, they're doing some fantastic work. But so are you. And um, there's a lot of areas that that. Youth sports, if anyone's listening to the show for any period of time, you, you know that youth sports has a special place in my heart because, you know, one, I have a couple kids that are playing, and and much of my success, and, and even going back to the loss of 80 pounds um, several years back when I, when I did go through that and been able to maintain it for the last 12 years, the experiences that I learned through, through athletics helped propel me to be able to do that and, and to be able to maintain it, but it also – has helped us through the the struggles that my wife and I had had with debt 
and 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 now it gives us the opportunity to go out with with the road to complete fitness and our dollar a day program to what I believe will wind up being millions of people that are helping other people out of debt with no selfish ambition. But this show today is about youth sports, and no better timing than a couple of weeks ago when John Smoltz was introduced to, or in, inducted into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Did he hit the topic of specialization in in, in youth sports? And mm-hmm. and uh, he put it. it Put it as as well as as could be, and it brings national attention to it, which uh, um, you're doing, John. And you're and by the way, John is uh, is uh, what are all, what all are the accomplishments? You played professional soccer. You've coached professional soccer. Um, what are uh, many of the other things that you've done? Um, but what what drew, drew us together? For those that speak English here, what drew us together was. Um, he made the mistake of replying to me on Twitter one day, and, <laughs> <laughs> and I guess it was a mistake. You're still putting up with me. Well, we've and, connected many times. I've been out to Wichita speaking, and uh, always enjoy your company, and always enjoy these discussions that we have on here. Well, today we're going to hit, and I think that there's there's a blog that you have out, and I'll I'll have it posted uh, well. Actually, before the show airs, because we're recording this one, this one a little bit early, but we'll we'll post it out there m- multiple times. And and I do share quite a few of your your um, your blog posts out, out on on my page and and on the show page as well. But uh, um, let's talk a little bit about it because the blog that that you most your most recent blog is called Three Myths That Are Destroying Youth Sport the Youth Sports Experience for for Kids. And um, then uh, tell me about what the what the uh, the article is about, and I really know because I've got a whole bunch of stuff highlighted to talk about on here. So uh, um, tell tell folks that are hearing you for the first time what it is changing the game project does, and and then we'll get into the uh, the blog itself. Well, uh, you know, first of all, what we do at Change the Game Project, if we put it in a nutshell, is we're just trying to make youth sports actually about the youth again. We're trying to give it back to the kids. We're trying to make it about the needs and the values and the priorities of the children who are playing, not the parents on the sideline or the people coaching or the people making money off those kids. Um, And youth sports has become corrupted in a way where it's, it's not welcoming to enough people anymore. It's driving kids out of the game and not just the kids who aren't good enough. It's driving some of the best players out of it because it's, it's basically become professionalized. And so we're trying to give a voice, to the sensible people, we're trying to give the science and the psychology and, and really the facts about athlete development to, to parents and coaches so that they can do the right thing for the kids and not and not be forced down paths that doesn't really benefit the kids. And, yeah, and do, so, you, do, yeah. you, do, do you find, John, that uh, parents that were probably like me when, when my oldest boy was starting to play a little bit more competitive baseball – when we would uh, we would run into and, and I'll hit baseball. You know me; I'm the baseball guy. Um, but mm-hmm. but I think I see it. I also see it with, with soccer as well. And I've got because I've, I've got a kid that uh, that plays baseball. My youngest boy's team that is a very good soccer player. And I just want to kick his dad every once in a while, telling him he he needs some downtime. You just play baseball during baseball season. And mm-hmm. uh, but. Um, I started to notice it really quick when we got into the the 
a little bit more tournament baseball, and we ran into a nine-year-old – no, it was an eight-year-old baseball team playing machine pitch, of all things. And these kids were on their 99th game at eight. Yeah. And, you know, I love baseball, and I don't think I played 99 games in a year until – I think it was my senior year of high school. And um, it, it, it's just that thing, but I think a lot of parents – not everybody, because some parents are, are, are following what they're being told by people who they think are experts, who really, in, in, some, in some aspects of the game, they are. Mm-hmm. But, but the reality is that uh, a lot of us had gut feelings that something is wrong. Something is wrong in this picture where um, the, these kids are throwing, you know, they're, they're playing on three different teams. They're playing a hundred games a year at, at nine or 10. I had a friend of mine that, uh, I, you know, being a, a baseball guy made the mistake of posting his, uh, eight year old tr- travel tryout team information on, on my page, which, uh, <laughs> there ensued, ensued a little conversation, but, you know, and, and it wasn't, it's not that he's trying to do anything wrong. He's, he's following the herd. Right. Right. And this so, is this this is this is the keep up with the Joneses mentality and this is what you see around and so you say, Oh my, you know, I, I've got to do what everyone else is doing or I'm not the perfect parent. I'm leaving my kids behind, I'm doing all these things and, and it's really sad and it's scary because it's not what the science tells us. It's not what the psychology tells us is is the best way and, and certainly you know, taking taking an eight-year-old kid, a seven-year-old kid, and making them go through tryouts, and then especially baseball. Baseball is one of those sports, because I played baseball growing up, and I love baseball, but we actually used to practice back then. And I see these mm-hmm. travel baseball teams, they don't even practice anymore. All they do is play games. And it's like, how's your kid getting better? He doesn't even practice. Well, well it's a, fun, it's a funny thing you say that, you say that, but not funny. That's not probably the right word. But I had this conversation with my brother who, who also played college baseball. And a few years back, he got the opportunity to, to help coach. And he volunteers. He didn't get paid anything to do it, to help volunteer at our high school. And has been doing it for several years. And he says, Mickey, he says, I don't know how to explain this. He says, these kids are coming in playing 80, 90, 100 games a year, and they don't know how to play baseball. Right. And um, we even did, did the same thing with, with our older boys team. When For the first year that we were what I would consider really competitive baseball, we played in a league, and then we played tournaments. And we made the, the conscious decision that one of these has to go because – we don't have time. You know, you're dealing with 12 year old kids that can't exactly drive themselves to practice every day. So you you've got to work with the parents. And frankly, we would be running into situations where we would play a game on Thursday night, and then we would have tournament games Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and they might have another game on Monday. And mm-hmm. trying to protect the kids' arms through pitching was we did it. But we, we we suffered in the tournaments or, or in the league something had to suffer. So we actually went to a we, – we chose to go the tournament route, and we just spent the week practicing and, and working on, on the game and, and, and that sort of thing. So uh, you're exactly right. It, it's uh, – um, they don't have time to practice. And my brother will uh, – if, if I had bugged him enough, he'd probably call in and, and, and 
argue about it. And, and he is actually the res- one responsible for causing you to have to put up with me because he's the one that posted that first uh, blog on my page. Um, and 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 that's the you know that's the the craziness about the thing is you know you talk about baseball pitchers right and mm-hmm. and they and they go through this whole process of you know you're the coach and you're managing pitch counts and then they mm-hmm. so on their off day what do they do do they go to their pitching coach and throw a hundred more pitches right and that that was the beauty of of um, John Smoltz's talk, I thought, was that he said, hey, you know, your kids need to play more than one sport. It's not a good thing to have Tommy John surgery at 12 or 13 or 14 years old. And, and I think this is so, it's so critical. It's so important that, that people start listening to the professional players, start listening to the doctors, start listening to the, the experts in the field and not listening to, you know, the, the loudest parent on the sideline or the coach who is focused on winning that game and actually doesn't have a background in these sort of things. And then that's what's mm-hmm. scary. Yeah. And it, I, I had a conversation with my wife last, last week and I, I don't know how we got into the conversation. We were, we were talking about these kids pitching and, and getting deep into games. And, and I said, you know, it's, it, 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 I don't understand this because, when I was in high school, my senior year, I, I pitched nine games, John. I started nine games. I wasn't a pitcher. I was a catcher. I, have, I had a friend of mine that I gave a hard time. He actually played a – got a, a September call-up to the big leagues that uh, I give, I, I laugh at him and joke with him. I said, you know, you're the reason I didn't get drafted because you couldn't throw strikes in high school, and every time they come to see me catch, I was pitching. And they weren't they were looking for that seventy nine mile to eighty seventy one nine to eighty one miles per hour to to pitch at the professional level. But I told her I said you know Nick I, I I don't know if there's science behind this or what it might be, but I watch these kids today who are throwing all these bullpens on the side and they're doing all this stuff, but yet they can't pitch past the fourth or fifth inning. I said Nick I threw nine complete games that year in high school. And I said do you know how many bullpens I threw? She goes, probably zero. I said, you're exactly right. Yeah. But so it, it the, the science does – let's talk about the science and get into the, the, the three myths because you know me. I'll get to yakking long enough, and, and we won't actually get into what we're supposed to be talking about on, on the show. So um, I'll – one of the things you, you wrote in the beginning is every year you travel throughout the U.S., Canada, Asia, Europe, and – do well over a hundred presentations to parents and coaches, and you speak to tens of thousands of people about youth sports coaching, athletic development, and every time you do a live event, you get asked the following question: If you are presenting all this science-based evidence about how to raise happy, healthy, high-performing athletes, why don't most coaches, clubs, schools, and parents follow these protocols? Why do you see the exact opposite happening? So that's a good place to start. Why? Why do we see the exact opposite happen? Well, I, I, I think one of the main reasons is because what it, what currently is happening, which again is this very short term focus on outcomes. Um, we got to win now. We got to win today, so we can get in the right league, so we can get into the right tournament, so we can, you know, so that my kid can get seen by college coaches, so that my kid can get a scholarship. You know, all, all these all these things are. Um, have become they've become conventional wisdom. Mm-hmm. They've become what everyone believes is is what is right, and it's very hard 
to overcome conventional wisdom. It's very hard to to go against what everyone else is, is doing around. And it's very easy to point to the one kid that it worked for and say, well, look at Tiger Woods. He's a good golfer, you know, mm-hmm. but versus the tens of thousands that you, of course, have never heard of because they burned out and they dropped out and they got hurt and they quit. And so, so the, those of us like Bruce Brown and, and Rob Miller and the people who are in this field and, and trying to present this information, um, we're, we're sort of we're, we're swimming against the current because everyone's doing something else and they're looking around saying, well, what you're talking about isn't what everyone else is doing. And what I always say is, hey, that's great. Um, if you think that I'm wrong, then, then just show me where you're getting that from. Mm-hmm. Because I read the research, I, I, I talk to the scientists, I talk to the physicians, and this is what they tell me. So if you think that I'm wrong, great, I'm a lifelong learner, but show me where you're getting that stuff from. And the fact is, yeah, you and, can't. It, it, and if you're wrong, you want to know, right? <laughs> I want to know. If I'm, if I'm spreading misinformation, please, by all means, let me know. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's amazing. And I get it on the Facebook page, I get it on the blog. People write in and say, you're full of it. And I say, hey, man, I'm a lifelong learner. Tell me why I'm full of it. But you can't tell me because that's not the way my granddaddy taught me because we don't develop athletes based on a hunch or, the, or because that's the way my granddaddy taught me. You, you, we, ba- we develop them based on science. And the, the science that I'm writing about and presenting um, and that I talk about in that article and others, that science is, is that's, that's what we know right now is the best way to do things. Yeah, and I think I think the results that we're seeing from from burnout of kids, and we're going to talk about this when we get back from the break, um, and, and the high high percentage of kids becoming becoming injured at earlier and earlier ages. Um, I think the science is starting to uh, to it, the science is there, and we're starting to see the results of not listening to the science. And yeah. uh, we'll get right back. Uh, John and I will talk more about the science. We'll also hit on myth one. We'll get maybe we'll get to myth two, but we'll save myth three for the uh, for the last segment. And uh, um, we'll hope you'll be with us when we get back. See you then. Family caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner, parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even coworker. You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. You'll hear from experts and others who are experiencing the same things, and together you will promote a common cause. Tune in to Family Caregivers Unite, live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Do you love to travel? Now, that's a silly question, isn't it? Who doesn't love to travel? Join Lindsay T. Boyd, a.k.a. the Dreamweaver, for Travel Time. A professional travel agent, Lindsay will spotlight the world of travel, from maps and other travel tools to make your trips easier, to your rights as a passenger, to different aspects of travel, such as sports, faith, or experiential vacations. Travel Time with Lindsay T. Boyd, Dreamweaver, airs live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. tuned to the mickey ellison show 
To connect with the show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or you can drop Mickey an email to mickey at mickeyellison.com. Like our show on Facebook. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Mickey Ellison Show. My guest today is uh, someone I call a friend, um, not just a guest, uh, John O'Sullivan from Changing the Game Project, and um, had the opportunity to to have John on the show a couple times, and with this being, and, and actually meet him a couple times in person as well, and with this being the, the show before the last show, um, I was hoping that he'd have he'd have the chance to come back and be on because I I I, I want people to at least take if there's one or two people that are listening to this show and will take and learn from John and spread the word that that he is uh, he is trying to share about youth sports because in our guts there's a lot of folks that are out there in your gut that think something is wrong with youth sports what happened to to sports as the way I I remember it growing up because today it's it's become um, crazy is not I don't even know if crazy de- describes it, but it's become confusing because most of the parents that are out there like me, we want what's best for our kids, and I had the the great fortune of getting a, getting to play baseball on a scholarship at Vanderbilt, and um, but then I look at what. My brother and I, who both we both play college baseball, I look at what we did versus what is being sold today, and it doesn't match. It doesn't match what we did to get to that level. Frankly, John, we weren't even trying for the most part to get to play college baseball. We were just playing baseball, mm-hmm. and somewhere along the line, um, I, I think I got a little more caught up in, in, in looking for a scholarship uh, earlier than my brother because my brother actually got one before I did. Oh, you can go to school and do this too? <laughs> and uh, no, but uh, let, before we went to the break, we you, were hitting a little bit on some of, the, some of the, the science. And one thing that I've got highlighted here is that uh, um, many of the kids, like 70% of the kids quit sport youth sports by the age of 13 and the overuse and, and the specialization in many cases is leading to uh to high rates of injuries and burnout so let's let's go from there you also have a point in here that this one actually makes sense actually it all makes sense to me but i highlighted you know today um sports has gotten to be a uh, big business and it ties the your your financial means is really the the Without those, it's difficult to play youth sports today, and it's become a, a, a game of the haves and the have-nots. And I, I don't really want to get a, a, into the haves and the have-nots, but um, it is it, it is a situation where folks who can't afford to play the game, their kids wind, not, wind up not getting the opportunity to play games that you and I grew to love simply because their parents can't afford to play it. But um, the name of the... The blog that you have, or the article that you've written, is the three myths that are destroying the youth sports experience for our kids. And uh, let's get into myth one. Why don't you tell us what myth one is? Well, it's, the, it's this early specialization myth, right? That that you 
the, you got to do more, more, more at younger, younger age if you're going to make it as an athlete. And, you know, sadly, it goes against the science. It goes against the, the best practices of athlete development. If your child's not a female gymnast or figure skater, they don't hit their peak until they're 20. So this idea that they, this myth that they have to do 10,000 hours of deliberate practice is has been so blown out of proportion. There's so many things that go into athletic development, genetics, coaching, but really intrinsic motivation and love of the game are so, mm-hmm. so important. And when we take away kids' ownership of the experience and when we take out all their enjoyment because you've got to specialize if you're going to get on this team and, and, and then we take away their intrinsic motivation, they, they drop out and, and they quit. And yet what parents are told and the frustration that they feel is that, well, everywhere I look around, you know, my kid's got to try out for the seven-year-old baseball team or the seven-year-old right. soccer team. And then that team says he has to commit to year-round soccer or he can't be on the team. What am I supposed to do? And, and so this is a really difficult situation for parents to be in because they, they feel stuck, and, and, and rightly so. And mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say is that we need more clubs. We need more youth sports organizations that are giving kids a, a chance to explore and, and, and find the sport that, that, that they want to do rather than forcing them to choose, okay, you're seven, you can either play basketball or soccer. Seems to me that's uh-huh. crazy. That makes no yeah. sense at all. Absolutely. Um, you almost, I'm sitting here, my, my mind's going a million miles a minute. I'm like, man, I wish I had time to, to create this sports academy that was soccer in the fall, basketball in the in the winter, baseball in the summer, and all the kids that are a part of this academy are going to do all the sports. <laughs> oh, I, mean, but, uh, I you know I I agree. I was at the Aspen Institute's Project Play big national international conference back in February, and that was you know they were looking for ideas, and that was my idea that I threw out. It's like, what about the the, the recreation of the multi-sport club? Now it can't be you know, the multi-sport club that just has, you know, what what a lot of the year-round sports are offering more than recreational sports or maybe YMCA sports or something like that is better coaching. So what we need yes. is multi-sport clubs with top, top-level coaching. And so that the kid who wants to play soccer but also play basketball can, you know, he doesn't have coaches fighting over his time or her time. It's, hey, you play soccer in the fall, you play basketball in the winter, but, hey, you can still do a day of soccer in the winter because it's scheduled around the basketball schedule. And, and then in the spring, yeah, you're doing baseball or you're doing lacrosse or whatever. But the multi-sport club, I think, has, has a place as long as parents can look at the coaching and say, you know what, that coaching is just as good or better and my kid gets at this other club where he's told to do this year-round, so I'm going there instead. I wish I yeah, had we, the time and energy to, to do one because I'd start one in my hometown. Yeah, we, we, uh, I, we've almost got accidentally had that start with my youngest boy's uh, uh, baseball team. It's not that we did it on purpose, but we had have 12 kids on their, on their baseball team. Ten of them played on the same basketball team last winter. And the year before that, when the, when they were starting to, to do flag football, there was about seven of them that played flag football together. So, um, and, and it was a situation. Now, with the flag football, I, I coached that one, John, and and, and uh, I'm not a very good coach of football. So, if we actually did have a football program, I would probably lean towards soccer. 
just because I don't care that 10-year-olds are playing a lot of tackle football at that point in time. But you kind of lead into the the next myth with, with what you're saying, which is the myth to the nine-year-old national championship myth. And the the idea that – and, man, I get hit up on this all the time with, with my younger boy because we've talked before. He can play. Mm-hmm. He loves to play, but a lot of folks will even ask, well, how did you get him to do this? Like, Dude, all we did was play. Mm-hmm. We went out in the backyard and played. We, he, he catches a, a, you know, 100 fly balls, but we're not in a structured practice. We're just out there. He wants to see if he can catch it, mm-hmm. and he wants to dive for it. And we, we line up the toss back in the backyard. And he, I throw balls off of it, and he wants to see how far away I can get it from him. And he can still catch it. But – and it's that, that that is something I think is missing. But it, you also run into a criticism, which I know is not true, um, that you're you're just a non-competitive guy, right, John? Right, right. And that's what people <laughs> that's that's the easiest thing to say is, oh, you're not in a competitive sports, and that's completely untrue. It's nothing to do with not being competitive. It has everything to do with being about the kids. And, and being about what what they need and what they want, and and when you, you know, if your fourth grade or fifth grade math teacher gave your kid all the answers to the test that your state requires, they would pass the test, mm-hmm. but they haven't learned anything, mm-hmm. and and this is what we do a lot in youth sports is because we're so focused on passing the test because we're so focused on the outcome, because the first question out of our mouths is, did you win? We forget, well, what did you learn? And we've, we've basically created a, no place for failure, no place for learning, no place for losing in youth sports, um, which, which, is, which is crazy. And we, we've made, you know, every pitch has to be a competitive one. Every kick has to be a competitive game or it's a waste of our time. Um, and yet, you know, these are not learning opportunities. You know, how many how many games would it take your son to field a hundred pop ups or a hundred fly balls um, versus the <laughs> hundred that you just hit to him in thirty minutes in the backyard, right? And yeah, so, yeah, an entire season. Yeah, an entire season. So it, you've just done in thirty minutes what it takes an entire season when these kids play six games a week to do. Right. And, and this is what's crazy is is. We were so game focused and outcome focused that we've stopped the learning. And so, so if you are if you are trying to prepare your your nine year old or your ten year old or eleven year old to be a successful baseball player or soccer player when they're eighteen or twenty, it's very different than if you're only preparing them to win the game that week or or that month. You're you're doing different things. You're playing kids at different positions. You're you're letting them all lead off. You're letting them all back clean up. You're letting them all play catcher. You're letting them all throw pitches. Um, and if you're only trying to win, well, only a couple kids get those roles. And and you're you're focused on the kid who is helping you right now versus the the kid who can help you over the long term. And this, you know, prior to puberty, really. You know, there's no, you don't know what kind of athlete a kid is going to be. You're only guessing. Sure. And so if we are only picking the kids and only coaching the kids that are helping us win at 9 and 10, you're really only coaching the older kids and the kids who grew first and the kids who um, who are a little more physically and mentally mature. But at 18, 
those kids might not be the best athletes anymore. And sure. you, know, you, you look around many sports, it's not the kid who was the star at nine who's the star at 19. Yeah, the, the kid that I was referring to earlier in the show that, that wound up uh, getting a pitch a month in the big leagues, he was the he was probably the least likely of all of us. We had a we had a a team one year in high school, John. That literally there was thirteen kids on this team that played college baseball, mm-hmm. and it was just a rare situation. And that year he was not one of the starting nine, and actually got recruited as a shortstop, and grew to six six. And they noticed he couldn't hit. But man, was his did his arm strength improve throwing the ball from shortstop to first base? To put him in the in the bullpen, find out he's throwing ninety four, and and the rest is history. And right. uh, the rest of us, and the rest of us, love the dream through him, just watching him do it. And it was it was great to see him get there because he he did um, practice hard and all this stuff. But the thing that I tried to get across to our coaches, and our coaches are on board with this, especially with our our younger team, is our job right now coaching nine-year-olds is to teach them to love the game yeah once we teach them to love the game the stuff that we call work that they need to do to get better will not be work it'll be fun exactly and 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 that you know that is to me i caught myself with the older team two years ago and you may have been the reason for this or a year and a half ago i was giving them the pre-game pre-season speech and i said we're going to work and then i stopped i said no, we're not, because who thinks work is fun? And, I, and not one of them raised their hand. I said, well, this is fun. So what I want you to do is I want you to go out there. I want you to dive for balls. I want you to find out how far you can, how far you can go. And see, if you don't dive for that one ball, you never know whether you could catch it or not. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, no, uh, exactly. That's what kids need. That's what they want. They, they just want to play. And then... <laughs> They want it to be fun, and if the enjoyment disappears, then then soon after they will too. Yeah. So let's talk about the the, the competitiveness, and we could go through, we can go back to th- parts of it. But uh, another myth we're get we're about two minutes away from a break, so let, let's start in this a little bit. And I think this is probably the the one that uh, parents really get sold on by some of not not. I'm not going to use academies because that's not really the right word because there are some great academies out there. But they're being sold by by people that youth sports is an investment in your son's scholarship. It's an investment in, 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 in scholarship. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, start on that, and then we'll, we'll come back after the break, and, and we'll talk some more about it. But, but what, what is your first thoughts when I, when I say what you had written here? Youth sports is an investment in a scholarship. Well, I mean, basically that sports is an investment in a lot of things, character development, overcoming challenges, um, surrounding your kids with positive mentors and, and role models. But but youth sports is not supposed to be an investment in uh, with, with a financial return. Um, mm-hmm. you, you, there's too many variables. There's too many things that don't make that a guarantee at all and and this is the big challenge and this is the big problem for so many people is understanding that a scholarship can be the icing on the cake but it shouldn't be the goal i mean i see so many kids who the goal is ah, i'm gonna get that scholarship right and then Mm -hmm. they get it 
and now what, you've achieved your goals? Well, now you've right. got to actually go play college sports, which is a really hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's not it's not the uh, um, panacea. The the it's not what a lot of people think it is. And uh, John, do we still have you? Yeah, I'm here. All right, I, I, it got really quiet there for a second, but look, we'll talk a little bit when we get back. And I'll even tell a story that I think I've told with you on the on the show before. And it is about striving for that scholarship and and not learning the things that you're trying to to help parents understand about loving the game and that sort of thing because i've got a story of kids that uh they did achieve the the goal of getting the scholarship and i'll tell you what happened to those kids when we get back from this break On the morning of August 5, 1962, the world awoke to the shocking news that Marilyn Monroe, one of the biggest icons in Hollywood history, had been found dead. What really happened that night? Join Nina Bosky as she seeks to uncover both the life and tragic death of Marilyn Monroe and what keeps her so popular over 50 years later. Good Night Marilyn Radio, live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Families today face unique challenges. Marriage, parenting, and family forms have changed a lot in the last century. Family Matters with Dr. Virginia Collin will focus on building and maintaining healthy family relationships. We will discuss marriage, divorce, family mediation, parenting, lifestyles, and mental health. All kinds of family matters. Our show will feature guest experts and your participation, too. You can listen to Family Matters live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You are tuned to the Mickey Ellison Show. To connect with the show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or you can drop Mickey an email to mickey at mickeyellison.com. Like our show on Facebook. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Mickey Ellison Show, the next to last edition of the Mickey Ellison Show, unless uh, something I don't have planned takes place. But uh, today's show, I have a, a, my friend, and, and, and I love the, the mission that he's on with Changing the Game Project, and, and John O'Sullivan is, is, is trying to educate parents. Not just trying, you're doing it. You're educating parents on, on sometimes things that were gut feelings as far as the, 
the craziness that has taken place with youth sports and the cost and the travel and specialization. And today's show, we're hitting on the last blog that you had written, which is um, the three myths that are destroying youth sports. And in the first first couple segments, we hit on on, on myth one, which is uh, – I've got it over here um, – the Tiger Woods 10,000-hour myth where – and specialization at earlier and earlier ages, and then uh, we went on to to the second one, which was the nine-year-old championship myth that your kids got to be on the championship team, and it doesn't matter. You you got nine-year-old teams that are cutting, in. and John, I've seen this, and I've been approached with with the opportunity for my son to do it, and I keep telling these guys, you don't understand. We started this team with twelve kids, and all twelve are still here. And this is special, and we did exactly what you talked about in the last last segment. And it sometimes we had to explain this to the parents. We have twelve kids. We pitched all twelve kids. Mm-hmm. Now we obviously have some that are that are much more advanced now than some others. But as you said, you don't know when you go on. But if if the kid that's your worst pitcher at nine may wind up being that kid that gets that September call up with the Texas Rangers. Um, 15 years from now right and and just because my kid is is advanced right now i'm i'm well aware that you know he had his coordination and his ability to do some of those things he acquired early does that mean that i've seen other kids starting to catch up to him a little bit because their coordination is starting to improve but uh the last the last myth that we were hitting on was uh, was the one that this is a youth sports is investment in, in a scholarship and John I Frank be frank I didn't know the odds of getting a, a scholarship in athletics until I read what you had written and if I saw that beforehand I went, <laughs> I didn't know and I don't know if you did when you played I didn't know that it was that much of of an honor that it was that sometimes it was just luck you have in here um, few athletes. Uh, a look at the numbers demonstrates that scholarships and pro contracts are reserved for the elite few athletes whose time, effort, and dedication combined with their with their talent and a good dose of luck led them to higher ground. And I am the perfect example of that luck. I happened to play in a tournament and go three for four on the right day. Yeah. And Roy Mubrin was there when I did it. And that's what I've tried to ex- explain now with our, our older kids because – they're getting now. They're starting to get recruited to play on the different showcase teams and and all these things for three grand. We're going to get you the scholarship, and this is where you're really starting to see that. We'll get you the attention, and I finally just pulled our parents aside and said, "Look, here's how we're going to get how your kids going to get a scholarship. They continue to work, and we play in the same tournaments. These guys are paying three thousand dollars a kid to play in, and if your kid's good enough, somebody's going to see them. Right. I've never I've never met a college coach who says, well. You're the best player, but uh, you don't play on that team. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to recruit you, right? They want the best kids. They don't care where you come from. And and here's the thing, Mickey, that I think a lot of parents don't realize, and that's that the whole idea of talent identification is, is shifting, and the people at the forefront of it are not looking at how good a kid is today. They're looking at how good is he today or she, of course, and what got them to this point? Because if 
this kid is at level 8 out of 10 today, and all he has done is play baseball to get to be an 8 out of 10. That coach is saying, you know what, there's probably not a lot of upside there. That, mm-hmm. that kid is maxed out, been around great coaches, great sports, whatever. Whereas if there's another kid next to them who's a 7 out of 10, who didn't play for the big club, who didn't go to all the showcases, who is just playing for the love of the game, who's not burned out, maybe they played some other sports, that baseball coach is going, you know what, that kid has probably got the upside. He's probably not mm-hmm. going to burn out. He's probably not going to quit. He's probably not going to be entitled um, because he hasn't had the best of the best of the best. I'm, I'm recruiting that kid, and I'm going to teach him the game. And so mm-hmm. talent identification for the smart coaches is, is, is no longer comparing A to B. It's, well, how did A get to A and B get to B, and now I'll choose which one I want. Well, do you think maybe – and I was just thinking about Akeem Olajuwon as, as you were saying that. And, and I think basketball seems to be the sport where you you see these kids come over and they wind up playing at, at, at Kentucky or, or, or somewhere like that, and they've only played the game for two years. Mm-hmm. and But they, they've gone over to – and not, I, they've played competitively to, for two years. They may mm-hmm. have played on, on some uh, – some team or play whatever wherever they would play in, in Africa or something like that. But when they brought them over here, the talent was there. The physical right. ability was there. They just knew they had to teach him how to play basketball. And if they can see the potential, it's there. Now we just we get a chance to teach him and who knows what the kid's upside is. And every and every sport's different too. I mean there there are certainly sports like basketball and football that have a massive physical component. Right? Mm-hmm. That that you know, some kid can play in the NFL who only started playing his senior year in high school because all of a sudden he's six, seven, three hundred pounds and has super long arms. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you can do that. That's not going to happen in soccer. It's not going to happen in hockey, where there is a decision-making component that time on ice or time on field requires. But mm-hmm. again, every sport has their different things. You know, I think of you know just in your area, right, Lorenzo Kane. Kansas City playoff MVP last year who showed up to play baseball his sophomore year of high school and the coach said if we didn't have a JV team and only a varsity he wouldn't have made it and here he is playing in the majors MVP of the playoffs and yet he you know they said you know as sophomore in high school people were laughing at him because he didn't know how to run the bases he didn't know when Mm -hmm. to stop he didn't know when to tag up and so you you know you look at these nine-year-old baseball teams where this kid has done only baseball, baseball, baseball. Yeah, he knows all the rules, but hey, Lorenzo Kane's the guy in the majors because he had the athletic piece and he had the upside. Right, right. And and again, and I think baseball probably falls in line with with, with soccer and, and and hockey that you don't you do have to have the physical aspect of it, but there there are certain skills that you've got to be able to do. But you, you've been around soccer enough. I've been around baseball enough. I can watch a kid. We, we have a, a league here in town called League 42, and I've had Bob Lutz on the show a couple of times where they've brought uh, youth baseball back to, to the inner city of, of Kansas, it's similar to the Major League Baseball's RBI program. And uh-huh. we get to go out there, and I actually volunteered, and my oldest boy um, actually played on one of the teams this year because I thought it would be a good opportunity for him as well. And – Immediately when I got out there, I'm, I grabbed Bob. And I said, "Bob, that kid's got huge upside. That kid's got huge upside. That kid, they and, and 
and they're going to start to recognize. I said, you wait until the day that you have your first kid come through this program and winds up with that scholarship or winds up with with uh, the guy that actually makes it to the big leagues because these kids are not burnout. They're they're playing basketball, they play football, and they finally get the opportunity to play baseball for thirty bucks a family instead of three thousand. Right. No, that's exactly it. And this is what we have to recognize and and see happening and and say, okay, we we you know the a sport like baseball or, or basketball or volleyball or football. I mean, there's got to be a place. For the late developers, because they, because those kids oftentimes are the ones who have the biggest upside, and when we are narrowing the pyramid and, and saying, hey, if you don't have it at nine or ten, you are you no longer have access to the facilities or the coaching or the you know or or the equipment or anything. It's just crazy. It's not. It's that's promoting short-term success over long-term development and growth of the game, especially like baseball, Mickey, because you can play some form of it. Maybe it's maybe it's softball and maybe there's a keg at second base, but you can play some form of it, <laughs> um, you know, your whole entire life. Right. So so this idea that if you don't have it at 10, there's no more place for, for you in this game is crazy, mm-hmm. and that goes for soccer and hockey and everything else. I mean, we need to grow love of the game. We need to grow the next generation of fans. First and foremost, I mean, it's not going to do Major League Baseball any good if, you know, eight out of ten kids growing up hating baseball because some 10-year-old coach thought winning was more important than teaching them to love the game. Well, and what you've also done is you, you've given people the opportunity to continue that game. Even if they don't make it to college or the professional level, now you have an activity in a, in a society that is, especially in the U.S., that, that we have this huge epidemic of obesity but now you've got a game that you can go out and play, and it's not like going to the YMCA or to the gym and running on a treadmill. You're just out there playing. I remember three nights a week when I was a kid that I would go up and play basketball during the winter with a bunch of adults, and mm-hmm. and we've lost we've lost a lot of that. But these are things that that we can do to actually live healthier, happier, longer lives beyond the years that we can actually play the sports competitively. Mm-hmm. No, it's very, very true. Very true. So we have to stop, stop treating it like if you don't have it, you know, by middle school, you'll never have it because it's just ridiculous. Yeah, Michael Jordan proved that one wrong, didn't he? I mean, the, the list goes on and on. We can spend the rest of the show talking about athletes who proved that <laughs> well, one Well, we won't be spending much time because they're, they're going to kick us off here before long. But, uh, <laughs> hey, but we, we also want to make sure that, that, I, that, for me, that I get across, and I think you the same thing. We're not saying that because your kid's really good at nine that he's not going to be at 18 either. We're not saying that. We're just saying that, that we want to have the opportunity for, for the other kids that are – they're not quite as physically advanced to still be able to play, but yeah, you will run across that phenom every once in a while. That is the uh, the Bryce Harper or right or, or or the Tyler Mike Trout or whatever. And and yeah. I think here's the important thing: if your kid is phenomenal at nine or ten, great. But here's two things: number one, ask yourself why, and if it's only because he's bigger and faster and stronger, right? I see these little league World Series all-star pitcher, right? All-star pitcher. I'm like, well, he's a head and a half taller than everyone else out there, of course. <laughs> he's six he's feet tall, the rest of them are five. <laughs> right, so that's, so that's number one. And then number two, you know, what's, 
is he, is he or she have the work ethic and the grit to keep getting better? Because if they're 10 and they're coasting along, I can pretty much guarantee they are not going to be the best at 18. So, yeah, and that's the I'll, conversation that I was talking about before the last break that um, I almost forgot to bring up because I coached a, a group of kids in, in South Carolina before we moved out here in 1999. And there was, I think there were five or six kids on this fall league baseball team that there were either signing or getting ready to sign to play college baseball. And I actually, after the season, I went to my wife and I said, Nick, you know how many of these kids are going to make it at the, unless something drastically changes in college? She goes, how many? I said, none of them. Mm-hmm. Because they, they don't have that instinctive love for the game because what I've told every one of these guys, if you don't love the game when you go to the college level or to the next level, you're not going to just dislike it. You're going to wind up hating it because that is – if you think you've been around baseball, basketball, or soccer a lot as a kid growing up, at, at uh, um, you're going to wind up at a college where, you know, that, that those days of playing multiple sports did turn into that specialization and, at, at that age. And I loved it. But I did. I still miss basketball. So, you know that is that in teaching them the intrinsic, the intrinsic love of the game. Mm-hmm. That's what causes those those guys to play. And and uh, you know you you talk. Oh, what's the guy's name? Center fielder for a uh, um, for the Angels. Um, Trout. I just Mike got Trout, right? Trout. Mike Trout. You can just watch that guy. He is like a little kid out there playing the game he loves to play. It doesn't matter that yeah, cool, he's getting paid millions of dollars, but he that's not why why he got there. And he just loves playing the game. So um which is exactly what I think you guys are, are trying to, to, to get across is and, and understand that, that the love of the game is what will cause cause it to wind up growing and, and being better for our kids growing up so hey we have about a minute and a half left john all right just give everybody a quick overview of 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 what again what you guys do and um how they can find out more about you well i mean basically you know just visit our website changingthegameproject.com is the best way join our email list to get the blogs right to your inbox uh join our facebook page Follow me on Twitter if that's your thing at Coach Johnny O. Um, you know, lots of ways to catch up um, and just uh, what I ask people to do is, is be part of a movement, right? Be part of getting this message out, not to the crazy psychotic dad who you're restraining from attacking the umpire. <laughs> like he's probably not going to listen to you. But most parents, most coaches, they're sensible people. They want this to be great for the kids. So let's, you know. Let's tell them. Let's give them the tools to have a voice and to speak up. That's how we're going to change you sports. That's how we're going to make it about the kids. And, and, again, just change your team. You know, you can't just keep this to yourself because your kid's part of this culture. And even if you're doing all the right things and the coaches lost the plot or the rest of the parents have lost the plot, your kid's going to suffer. So, you know, yep. you, you, have to, you have to look at all the pieces. All right. Well, John, thank you so much for coming back. It's been a pleasure. I, I'm so glad you came on this show, but more importantly, I, I'm, I'm glad to, to know you and call you a friend. I'll also post a, a link on the Mickey Ellison Facebook page as well as my my uh, MickeyEllison.com page for those that didn't get a chance to look it up. But uh, John, God bless and, and continue the good work, brother. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All righty. Last show next week with David Simpson. Hope you'll join us. See you then. 
so much for joining us on the Mickey Ellison Show. Mickey plans to be here again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We hope you'll be here, too. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 